guys. Today's episode is sponsored by none other than the most amazing Study Notes ABA. They are the best, duh, as we know that our other behavior bitch, Liat, is the founder of Study Notes ABA. But if you are studying for your BCBA exam or BCABA exam and you need some help, join our collective. We are seriously a tribe. It is so informative educational and relatable. Okay. That's what our stitch is. So if you are wanting to get involved in any capacity, it could be in the collective. It could be drop-ins. You could get a mock exam. You could do video recordings, whatever works for you. We even have a lot of free resources on YouTube and our website. So check it out. You could find study notes, ABA and sign up at www.studynotesaba.com. Hope to see you in the collective starting September 5th. It's behavior, bitches. Hey, guys. It's Liat. And Casey. And we're back. Holy crap. Episode 14. Say what? Oh, shit. I didn't even think of a um, <laughs> a rhyme today? for 14. One, four. Walk Shut the door. The- Shut the door. <laughs> okay. Good. We got it. Yay. There we go. We're getting better with our quality as the time goes, as you Bitch. can see. For sure. All right. You guys know where to find us. You can find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast or Facebook, Behavior Bitches Podcast. Subscribe to our shit. Leave a five-star review. And one last request. We are so proud to say we have a damn Patreon. We're putting it into the show notes. What is Patreon? Well, Casey, what is it? Well, Patreon is a place where you get supported for doing... um, I don't really know. Liat, actually edit that out because I don't know what Patreon is. Okay. What is Patreon? Patreon is a way for you guys to support us for what we're doing. It's a way for you guys to support and cheer us on doing this podcast. Up until now, the podcast has been paid for out of our own pockets. And on the real, it's getting to be a lot. So we need your support. We really want to continue offering this free resource to you guys. And we love doing it. But we need your help. For as low as $2 a month, you can be a patron and support our podcast. You get some cool little perks if you join. So go check it out. Casey, what is today's five-star review of the day? Please share. This, I love this one. Um, Her name was, or his name, I'm not going to gender specific. Just Dance 99. Hashtag killing it was the title. Hey, ladies, you continue to do a fabulous job balancing humor along with behavioral principles. I look forward to listening to your podcast while I'm driving. Hashtag all day, every day. Keep it up. Hashtag praise on praise. Wow, that is a serious load of positive reinforcement if I've ever seen one. Thank you so much. I love how people use hashtags with us all the time. It's our, it's our jam, baby. Yeah, hashtags to the next level. I love it. All right, today we are not going to shoot the shit. We are going to PB and J our way right through this. And we are going straight to the topic because... I'm really excited about what we're talking about today, and we have an awesome guest. Um, The topic today is something not easy to talk about. It's something very serious to a lot of people, and more people than we realize struggle with what we're about to talk about, and today's topic is gambling. Today, we have Marla on the show, who we're so excited, proud, and thankful that Marla came onto the show to share something with us that takes a lot of vulnerability. As you know, we're all about being raw and relatable here. So first of all, Marla, thank you so much, seriously, for coming. You're welcome. Um, A little bit about Marla. Our guest 
is 59 years old, married with two very cute little kids. Yes, I stalked your Facebook. Um, our those guest are my grandkids, probably. Oh, those are your grandkids? Yeah. Oh, they're my so cute. Are, they're grown already. So. Oh, okay. So, my two very cute grandkids. Yeah, I just had a new baby granddaughter, so. Oh, congrats. I've That's exciting. Three now. Three. Okay. So, I, I guess I didn't stalk. Casey's better stalker. I should have had her stalk before. She probably could have told you the exact day they were born and how much they weigh. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so Marla's here and she has offered and been open about speaking with her struggle with a gambling addiction. Marla's been free from her gambling addiction since 2004. She was in treatment from 2004 to 2009. So here we have Marla. Thank you so much for coming, Marla. Is there anything else you could share with our listeners to tell them about who you are? Um, born and raised in Nebraska. Um, was in a pretty steady job from the time I got out of high school until 2004. Um, I actually turned myself in for my gambling addiction and sought treatment, but we could talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get into that. All right. So where where what do you do now for work? Um, now I'm working for an agency that does uh, services for adults with uh, developmental disabilities. Very we do cool. both residential and vocational. I'm actually in their quality assurance program. Oh, that's great, Casey. That's probably similar to what you do. Uh, yeah, I work um, with adults with um, autism in a like, kind of a day program, community-based program. Yep, same type of work. It's some, you know, girl, pat yourself on the back because <laughs> it's some serious stuff. Today I had a phone call. There was a police search for one of our our uh, participants that eloped from a nature reser reserve. And, uh, you know, he's a 29-year-old, six-foot guy, and it's not easy. No, it's definitely not. Yeah, but... It's a field that keeps us going. So here we go. So today we are going to, speaking about gambling, I am really excited to talk about this and that Marla is sharing her struggle because gambling is something that has so many behavioral principles that go into it. So today the behavioral principles we'll be covering, we'll be talking about antecedents that started this whole um, behavioral chain environmental manipulation that takes place in these casinos, schedules of reinforcement, whether it's maintaining a behavior or for acquisition of behavior, contingencies as a result of gambling, punishment, reinforcement, other consequences. We'll talk about interventions. Um, we also, we did, Casey and I did a little bit of our homework beforehand, and we were looking up an article. Casey, do you want to tell them a little bit about the article we were looking at? I do, because I really, really enjoyed this one. And I'm not sure if Marla has um, done any research on this in the, you know, the ABA kind of background. But um, Mark Dixon, who is the um, founder the of Peak. Peak, Peak Assessments, and we use that a lot in um, ABA. But he actually did a article, and we will put it in the show notes, but it's... um gambling functional assessment, so a GFA. And the GFA um, was similar to other behavioral assessments designed to measure um, apparent behaviors, particularly self-injurious behaviors. Um, so they looked at the four functions of gambling behavior, which included social attention, escape from aversive events, 
access to tangible items and sensory simulation. And good Lord, if Guys, any behavior- those are all four. Those are all four functions we talk about, right? We have attention, escape, tangible, and sensory. So all of these things come into play with gambling behavior. Sorry, Casey, continue. You're doing great. No, I'm just, that is so for sure. Any behavior that we know in ABA that's maintained by this much, all four is going to be the most resistant to extinction or, you know, good treatment in, in, in general. So um, it is definitely a huge topic. When we talk about addiction, we had my sister on to talk about her, her heroin addiction. Um, and again, it served many, many functions and so many also private event functions that we don't even talk about. Um, so... Yeah, we just also want to preface this that if you know someone or you personally have a gambling addiction to reach out for help um, at the National National Gambling Hotline, 1-800-522-4700. We are not professionals in any way on this. Um, We are just lucky enough to have someone who's willing to come on and tell their story to hopefully help one person or many people that are listening. Yeah. And one other thing I want to say that a lot of people look at gambling as an entertaining leisure time activity. And I think it does start like that for a lot of people. However, gambling does represent a severe behavioral disorder that can have very negative life-changing consequences. Although the estimates of the frequency of pathological gambling in the general population may seem small, like one to three percent, those estimates translate into millions of individuals. So Marla, again, thank you because we could be helping as many people who listen to Behavior Bitches podcast or share with their friends. So thanks. Well, and I would be I would I would be willing to guess that those numbers are they don't even touch the surface um, because there are so many gamblers. I mean, I did it for years and years and years. So I mean, until I hit rock bottom and decided that I couldn't do it anymore. You know, had I not hit rock bottom, I'm not sure that I wouldn't still be gambling today. So there are, you know. So those are probably people who are self-identified. Wow. That are not identified as having an addiction problem that actually do. So they just haven't seeked help yet. So the numbers probably are much, much higher. Yes. Good point. Okay. So can we... We like to operationally define what constitutes a gambling addiction. What we looked up in terms of what gambling is, and Marla, hopefully you could add to this, um, what the actual definition is, is gambling is the wagering of money or something of value, referred to as the quote-unquote stakes on an event with an uncertain outcome, with the primary intent of winning money or material goods. Would you say there was any other things we could put in to operationally define what gambling addiction is? or when you know it's an addiction? Well, you're gonna know it's an addiction when you can't stop it. I mean, it. my addiction took over my life. So it was like, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't wanna continue to do what I was doing, but the casinos and the scratch-offs and the keno and, you know, everything that was available to you out there just kept calling. And I mean, it's everywhere you go. I couldn't go into a gas station. I would see scratch-off tickets. And, you know, I was buying scratch-off tickets sometimes four or five times a day because they're just everywhere. I mean, you couldn't go into a grocery store without seeing them. I couldn't go into some place to eat lunch without 
you know, seeing Kino or, and so it, it just, it takes over everything and you can't, there's, you just can't stop it. It's a physical addiction for sure. Right. Like mental, yeah, physical. You know, I have a theory that my, I grew up with an alcoholic parent and I tried so hard to not become an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And it's just that my addiction went another way. I mean, there's no difference in my opinion between the two. It's just an addiction and it's the same steps to, you know, try to work yourself out of that addiction as if you were doing it, you know, it for alcohol or whatever you're doing it for. Absolutely. My sister, um, she and my mom both um, struggled with heroin and multiple uh prescription pills. And when I had her on to talk about that level, I learned so much more about her and realized that in my own life, there's so many addictions that I have that may not manifest it way, manifest itself in a way of, um, like, uh, heroin or something so obvious, but of course, like addiction is addiction is addiction, no matter which way you fucking spin it. Really? It is Right. It is definitely, I grew up with alcoholic drug addict parents and there's stuff in my life where I'm like, that is definitely an addiction that I need to help. And it's not something that's affecting my daily life or my job, but it is truly there. And I look at that all the time. And I agree with you with, it doesn't matter if it's gambling or drugs or alcohol addiction is addiction and treating it is scooters. Yeah, absolutely. I have an addiction to scooters right now. So (laughs) Scooters? That I need to stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it came out somewhere else. Now you're like scootering all over the world. <laughs> yep. Never in my checkbook. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Replacement behavior. All right. So let's get into talking about the functions of behavior and, and especially related to gambling. Uh, the 20 item gambling functional assessment that we read about included questions regarding the contributions of social attention. So this function would be for gambling specifically, your enjoyment of interacting with the peers. There's also the psychological physical escape. Example would be ability to forget about stress at home, leave a troubled work environment, whatever it may be, that's your escape. Access to tangible rewards. This is like, you know, you're getting money, comps, vouchers, and sensory um, would be like feelings, a rush or a buzz, liking the lights and the sounds of the environment that you're in. So those are the four functions that the gambling functional assessment looks at. And Marla, would you agree with those four functions? I guess, I guess as I got into treatment, um, I could recognize that I, it was a means of escape for me because my children were both gone. Um, and it was just basically like, well, I'm going to work and then I'm going to go home and then I'm going to work again and I'm going to go home. Um, Attention, not so much because I hid everything that I did. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't there to socialize or, and and I, I really didn't get any perks either. So mine was really sensory because, you know, I didn't sign up for the casino uh, benefit things because I was trying to hide it so much that I didn't want stuff coming to my house for my husband to find out mm-hmm. or you know, things like that. But I mean, it, it definitely, it affected, even when I wasn't gambling, it affected 
what I was doing in my personal life because um, the morning that I told my husband, he actually thought that I'd been having an affair because I had been acting so strange for so long. So, you know, I didn't realize that I was acting any differently when I was at home, but obviously obviously I was. Because you're hiding things, right? Yeah, yeah. So can we, can we start from the beginning? Just so when did you get into, first of all, what was your, um, your game of choice or was it, I I know you had mentioned earlier, you said lottery tickets, you know, slot machines, this, that, which was, what was your game of choice? If you could choose any of them. Yeah. Slot machines. Yeah. Okay. Slot machines. Um, we have a lot of research on that. We talk about that a lot in our classes. Yeah. You know, I, I did, I went to the casinos probably three or four times a week, but um, the scratch-offs I did every day, obviously. Powerball I did every opportunity that I, you know, that they were having a drawing, I had a ticket. Um, Would you get one that. or more than one? No, I might get 30, 40 at a time. So, um you know, so that was a daily thing. But I would say that my preference would have been if I could have sat in a casino all day, I would have done it. You know, I just sat there all day and all night. So your it, husband had no idea that you were doing this, like the casinoing or? No, he had no idea. When, would when you did go? it start? Oh, Jinx, sorry. Well, as I started into treatment, I realized that it actually started when I was in probably elementary school. Because we would go and pitch pennies. Um, there was a little country store that was just down the block from our elementary school, and we would go back there and pitch pennies. Um, and we would earn, like, candy from other kids. Um, and that went on the whole time I was in school. Um, but then about once a year, a bunch of our friends and us would get together, and we would go to the casinos. And then it went from that to, well, I'm just going to go up by myself one day. And then it seemed like after I did that a couple times, it just pretty much took over. And then, um, you know, we still went our one time a year, but my husband had no idea that I was going three, four times a week. You know, he didn't, didn't know that I was doing that. And I always did it where... So I traveled a lot for the job that I had. Um, and so I always did it where I would leave the house early and I would be home at my normal time. So, you know, he didn't really know. Um, there was no real change in my schedule from my normal day at work. It's just I was at work. <clears throat> work thought I was traveling and my husband thought I was traveling. So I have a question. Did you, were you winning or that always? That was my break? next question. Like, really? Did you, did you ever come into contact with winning? You know, I won a couple thousand, maybe five or six times, but nothing large. Nothing um, to keep you like sustaining your behavior. You were in the negative. Yes. And, and constantly chasing it to win it back. Right. But, you know, that's the problem with gambling is you, You've got that big payoff in your head, and you think, well, you know, I lost big today, but 
I'll come back tomorrow and I'll win that all back and some. And then you go back the next day and you lose some more. And then as well, I'll come back tomorrow, you know. And it comes to a point where you just feel like you can't stop because you've always got to chase that win. Um, it's like chasing the high if you're, you know, an addict for drugs. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Yep, yeah. yep. Wow. And I'm sure you're always thinking yep. like, okay, well, now I could explain to my family that I'm coming home with however many million dollars for them and it will make up for what I've done thus far. Yeah, I guess I really didn't even think about that, how I was going to explain that if I came home with a big downfall. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't even think about that, I guess. <clears throat> so you would go during the workday? Yeah, sorry. Mine was really more, I would, I would say behaviorally, it was really more on the sensory type. Um, and still to this day, there are certain sounds that will trigger and, you know, sound like a slot machine. And I'll have to think about it and say, no, you're not going to do that. Or when I hear of a really big payout on the Powerball, you know, I, I still to this day, after 15 years of being clean, which you guys picked a good time to do this, because the day I turned my in was myself in was the day after Labor Day in 2004. So in... Uh, we're coming September. up on your anniversary. Yep, September fourth will be my fifteen-year anniversary. So, well, you should be really proud of yourself. I have goosebumps. Oh. I just want to say, Marla, I don't even know you, but the hair on my arms are standing up. I have goosebumps on my body for you coming <laughs> out and sharing this. I really do. I'm like, it's hitting me emotionally. So, thank you. Yeah, it's it's still not easy to talk about. But I'm sure. You know, if it'll help one person, it's worth it. It sure is. Because That's what, it, yeah. it is a miserable existence. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> My next question is, how bad did it get? You said you turned yourself in. How bad did it get yeah. that you decided to turn yourself in? Well, I'd been embezzling from my employer for, oh my gosh, probably a good 10 years, I suppose. And I I worked in an agency where we oversaw a nonprofit. Um, and so we had auditors that come in, but the auditors that we had come in didn't really know what to look for. So I just steered them away from anything that I didn't want them to see. Um, and so I think I'd lost 5,000 that day at the casinos. And I was sorry. It's okay. Take, Take your time. time. I, was, I was coming home, and there's a couple river bridges. And I thought, you know, when I get to the river bridges, I'm just going to drive off into the river. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep up. You know, I, it's probably been, I don't know, a good couple months where I hadn't slept at night. So much anxiety. Wow. I just, I just decided it would just be easier if I just drove off the river bridge. Then I thought about my two girls. And I thought, what is that going to do them if they no longer have their mother? Right. How old are your girls? Um, they're in their 30s, both of them. 
I'm glad I, I bet they're glad you're I still here. Drive off the bridge. So I came home that night, and you know, really, I had kept records of everything that I had taken, but until that night, I stayed up all night calculating and recalculating. I had taken over four hundred thousand dollars, and it was like this can't be. This can't be right. I just kept recalculating and recalculating. And the next morning, I got up and told my husband and contacted a criminal attorney and was in his office in that afternoon and handed him the box full of paperwork. The paperwork that you had been saving of all the money you had taken? Yep. And he said, we're not going to turn all this in. And I said, yes, we are. We're not going to hide any of it because if I'm going to come clean, I'm going to come clean with it all and I'm going to take the consequences because I didn't, you know, I said otherwise it's just going to be hanging over my head. So you weren't caught. You turned yourself in. Yeah, they didn't even have to investigate. I just turned myself in and guilty. Wow. Yeah. That's freaking Yeah, there strong. was no investigation or no arrest or anything. They just called and said, come down and we'll, we'll book you at one o'clock. And that wow. was that. So, and, and when they booked you, how long was your, so you knew you were setting yourself up for obviously some punishment as a result of this. And how long were, did, did you go to prison or jail? I did. I did. Yep. Yeah, I went to a, I did 11 months and then I did a month in a halfway house. And then I did three months probation or three years probation once I got out of the halfway house. Yeah. And I actually started my probation. Um, it took, it took almost a year before they sentenced me. Uh, why? I don't know. Cause they had everything, you know, and I said, just, I just wanted to get it over with and. Um, so I self-reported and to the prison and I was there 11 months and then, um, 30 days in a halfway house and then home back on probation for another three years. And so my treatment actually started about a year before I went to prison. And then, um, I continued with treatment while I was there. And then I started back up with my uh, aftercare then once I was home. So, What does a treatment program or, or the intervention look like? Or what steps are involved in a treatment program for a gambling Are habit? you familiar with, with the 12 steps that you do for alcoholism? Yes. It's the same exact treatment. Because addiction is addiction, right? Same steps. Yep. Yep. Same steps. Yeah. Well, so Casey, you probably know the steps better just because I know you've been around it more. Which of the steps would you say could apply to and, and what behavioral um, concepts do they tie to? I, I'm a, Some of it, I know first you're like, I mean, I know admitting is the first step, right? That you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then basically, um, I mean, I don't know about you. Marla has probably way better experience, but... Um, so admitting and then, um, making a decision to like 
turn your, you know, your will in life over to a higher power. Um, and you're searching for like that moral inventory of yourself. So you're coming back to your values, right? Figuring out what yep. your values are um, and being okay and accepting that you have, you know, had some shortcomings and that that does not define who you are. Making amends, making amends was a big one for me. I was going to say, so your husband is, are you guys still, this is personal. You can say yes or no, but he's still here together. We are. We are. Yep. So he's stuck with you through that. That's amazing. Yep. He said he buried me for better or worse. And this was just the worst. So <laughs> absolutely. Yep. And we all have our worst. So that's yep. great. Yeah. So I just want to, I'm going to just, and I I have more questions for you, but I just want to talk about, I mean, so a slot machine. A slot machine actually goes along with my favorite schedule of reinforcement, which is a variable <laughs> ratio schedule of reinforcement, which is the most resistant to extinction. And what does variable ratio mean? Variable meaning on average amount of number of and ratio meaning responses. So let's say the slot machine is on a variable ratio of 10. So about every 10 pushes, maybe it's seven pushes, maybe it's 13 pushes, maybe it's 12 times you push the button, you're going to be reinforced in some sense. And this is the strongest schedule of reinforcement to maintain behavior because there's that constant, first of all, you don't know when it's coming next. So let's say someone's playing a slot machine game and, you know, they've already put, they've already done 13 pushes worth of, you know, whether that's $13 or they're playing for $10 per push. I don't know, whatever it is. But at that point, you've hit 13 and you're like, well, I've gone this far. I don't want to leave now because what if the next one's the winning? Right, and uh, you give it to the next person. Exactly. So it really maintains the behavior. And as we know, um, a variable ratio schedule of reinforcement is the most resistant to extinction. So the struggle here is very difficult. And I mean, even behaviorally, we have the research to show that this is the, the hardest behavior to extinguish. So I can't imagine how hard it is, first of all, while you're in it and the consequences you have come into contact with as a result um, there thereafter. So- um, I'm still coming in contact with, I mean, I'm still- I have to write that check every month still to make my restitution payment. So, and that will continue for the rest of my life because I'll never pay it all uh, before I die. So. So they were able to break it up smaller so you could actually live and still afford to yeah. pay it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're every day that you sign that check, you're, you know, that's that punishment that you're coming into contact with. Every month. Yep. And I used to force myself to go down to the courthouse to pay it. And then it was just taking so much of my time. And, you know, I had grandkids in the mix then and was busy with their activities and stuff. So now I mail it every month. But, I mean, it's still... It's coming still out of your checking account. Every month, you know, that well, I really screwed up my life royally. So it's response cost. Uh, you're seeing that mm -hmm. come out um, every single month, which essentially would be, I mean if it has decreased your behavior, I'm sure this is not the only thing doing it. It would be negative punishment because we're removing something, which is 
like removing the money from your account and decreasing the future frequency of your behavior. And what other consequences, um, I, I, I mean, I can't imagine how much you've had to go through as a result of this, not just paying things monetarily. Um, what other consequences have you come into contact with as a result of your gambling behavior? Well, um, I'm 59 and should be able to retire at, at 65, but I have no retirement left because I had to cash in all of my retirement so that my husband could live while I was in prison and still make the mortgage payment. And so I don't have that. Um, I mean, trust is, you know, a big issue. I mean, there are still 15 years later things that come up that, you know, I'll think, well, or he'll say something to me and I'll think, well, you know, he still doesn't really fully trust me. Um, so, I mean, trust is a big thing. I've, I've lost a lot of friends. We have lost a lot of friends um, that will no longer associate with us. So. Um, and some of them were very close friends to my husband, but he chose to let them go because of the way that they treated me afterwards. So, you know, I have the guilt for that every time he mentions their name. Or, so. Have any of your friends stuck around? Um, not really from before. I turned myself in. I, I have gained some great friends since that time um, that have, you know, stuck around and, and supported me and been by my side. But pretty much the friends that we, you know, associated with prior to the fact there are a couple of them around, but we're definitely not as close as we were before. Um, I shouldn't say that. I've got one um one that is, I'm still very close to that was two, actually, that were there before, knew me before, and then, and are still close with me after. Because uh, it's not like you did something to them. I mean, you had a, an addiction, a, a serious well, thing. You weren't physically well, out to get them. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, that's the thing. People just don't, they don't understand or maybe they don't want to accept yet that gambling is actually an addiction because I've had a lot of people, you know, I've spoke to a lot of groups and legislators and, and they say, well, why don't you just quit? Well, that's like telling an alcoholic, don't take another drink or telling a drug addict, don't take another hit of cocaine. You know, you, you can't just quit. Right. Um, and I, I, you know, when I was in treatment, I saw so many people fail because their moms, dads, spouses, whatever, knew about their addiction and were forcing them into treatment and they didn't want to be there. And so, you know, they didn't take it seriously where I took mine seriously from the day that I walked through that door. And well, the, the first day that I walked into treatment, I banned myself from every casino in our area and so that I couldn't walk through the door because if I did, they were going to charge me with trespass. And oh, wow. took me to every casino and they took my picture and hung it up in the office. So 
you know, I took those things. It was. So you took some antecedent strategies to make sure you were not back in there in case. Correct. Correct. In case you did not have the will at times, but it's just also looking at this also behaviorally. um, When I think about it is, you know, a lot of people, let's say who the treatment didn't work for, didn't have the MO that you had. So as you were saying, you were dealing with all these private events, um, behaviors of like having this guilt and I'm, I'm sure like a lot mm-hmm. of anxiety with it. So at this point, that feeling I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just trying to put it into behavioral terms for anyone listening and trying to apply it. Um, you had all these negative feelings. So at that point you, it was highly valuable to you to, um, get this help, right? Or to be a, get this intervention. You cared about it because you had already been dealing with all these negative private events. So to you, well, it would actually be I like negative. Without it. Right. So I, it was. I knew that I didn't have a chance if I didn't, you know, do something drastic. I mean, I didn't go in a gas station for 10 years. I paid at a pump for almost 10 years. And if I went in the grocery store, I made sure that I went down an aisle where there wasn't pickle cards, which you can't do that now. I mean, they're everywhere you look. So, but, you know, back then in 2009, I mean, I just, I didn't step foot in a gas station. I didn't go any place where there was lottery tickets. Um, you get to change up all those work. behaviors that you used to have. Every, that, like, you know, everything. Yeah, my whole, you know, my whole daily routine had to change to just get me away from it. And then I would still have the triggers like, you know, they would play a commercial and, and there would be for a casino and the, and the, the slot machines would be dinging. And, it, and then, you know, you've got to start this whole thing in your mind about remember what you did, remember where you're at, remember you don't want to go back there. And Holding so yourself it, accountable. I mean, it's, it's, it's just continual. And, you know, like I told you, Leah, I, I mean, to this day, I'll be cooking supper or something and the TV will be on and there'll be some sound. And it will trigger in my mind that, and it, it may not even be a slot machine, but it's just a sound that sounds like a slot machine. And instantly my mind will go there to want to go to the casino. And it's like, I just have to shut those off. So it's and, the same way, yeah. like someone who has an alcohol, like when someone had an alcohol addiction, it said, don't drink another drink, like at right. all. Because, you know, it's yeah. like, People will be like, oh, but you could drink socially, socially. you know, like <laughs> have a drink, be normal. Just have one drink with yeah. us. Like you don't have to go and get like wasted to the point that you're crashing cars into walls. Um, no, as an addict, you're going to start right back to where you were before. You're I gonna mean, that one drink that is going to plummet you. Yeah, it, it's just going to plummet you immediately. Because- so my sister, I just want to share. So you, you know, this doesn't. Just this this topic right here. So my sister, when she was talking about her heroin addiction, um, she had said she had stopped a few times, right? And she was like, thought that she could try it again. I'm just gonna do it once with my friends for fun, and I will be fine. And she ended up right back in the same spot she was. Yep. Yep. Multiple times she tried to get clean. She thought, I can just do this for 
whether it was even just an Oxycontin or whatever it was, she, oh, I'm just going to do this. And I know I, I know myself now and I'm, I have control over it. And as an addict, you do not have control over it. Never. You, never. you don't. No. No. And that one time will just plummet you right back to where you started. So. Did you ever relapse? I did not, but I really didn't have an opportunity to, um, which was a good thing about, you know, the prison sentence because it got me away from it altogether. Um, and then before I went to prison, I mean, I was doing, I was seeing my counselor every single day, um, right up till the time I went to prison. And, and so was my husband and my daughters. So, you know, they, they were seeing their own counselor, but, um, just to try to learn, you know, about the addiction. You're so brave. I just have to say that. And I'm sorry. I, I you are so you, brave. I, I want to give you such a huge hug because the respect I have for you coming on about something like this when I know there's like so many like taboos and people, I mean, the same way yeah. when Casey's sister came on with a heroin addiction, everyone thinks it's like they're above these different things that happen. Like this is not just people mm -hmm. who are living in cities that have nothing else. Like this is people all the time who go from having millions to having nothing. Nothing. And, yep. And like people lose their homes. They lose their, I mean, I couldn't believe when I was in Vegas, how, like how casually in one corner, it's like, there's a, a refinancing section that you could refinance your home or put mm -hmm. things up for, um, what is it? Collateral? Is that the right word? But I guess because you were keeping it a secret, you didn't put like your house or anything. Right. Right. No, I just took money from my employer, which didn't get me anywhere either. <laughs> no, so. not at all. So how exactly would that work? If you don't mind me asking, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but would it be like, you, it looks like you're making payments to things that weren't actually necessary yeah. or. And I invoiced for things that weren't real and people paid and then I took the money. Yeah. So that way your husband wouldn't know that it was coming out of your checking account. Right. And there yeah. was plenty of money that come out of my checking account, too. I mean, I I was bringing in about 70000 a year, so that was just my salary. So, I mean, there was yeah, you had a good plenty amount of money spend. coming out of my checking account, too. But obviously, it wasn't enough to keep me going. Do you think that, I mean, aside from we know the variable ratio schedule of reinforcement being so strong, do you mm -hmm. think also because you you didn't see the I'm trying to think how to say it. You know, sometimes for example, um like when someone has their parents' money to spend, they're not realizing what they're spending because it's someone else's and they're not feeling the consequences as directly coming into contact with it themselves, right? Oh, most definitely or, because until that day when I stayed up all night, I had no idea that I had taken that much money. You know, I thought maybe 10,000, something like that. No, it was over 400. So, you know, I had no idea how much money I was actually taking and, and spending. And I, I guess because of that, it also took you longer almost to come into contact with, like you almost didn't have to hit rock bottom. Like you weren't, living without a house or without food because you still had your salary, which was staying there, right? Right, right. Yeah, the day that I turned myself in, my lawyer said, you can't step back foot into your office. 
So that next business day, my husband took a resignation letter and laid it on my boss's desk and he was not there. And of course, I couldn't talk to him. My lawyer said, you can have no contact with them at all. And so he called me 10, 15 times a day, begging me to just pick up the phone. You know, whatever this is, we can work through it. You know, it, we, we can, you know, we can work this out, whatever it is, we'll work it out. You just Were you close with your boss? I was very close with my boss. Yeah. So, you know, that brought another aspect of, well, now I'm going to have to go to treatment twice today because (laughs) I've sat in the house bawling all day and wanting to do nothing but gamble. So I think what makes your story so amazing and again, the goosebumps that I'm getting the entire episode is that you turned yourself in. You made that decision to get help and to admit what you had done. That did not come from another consequence outside. That was you thinking like it wasn't right. Like you didn't come in contact with the consequence yet. You had literally looked at what you had done and realized how much you had taken and you went and you did that. You went to a lawyer. Well, yeah. And I was calculating it because of the fact that I wanted to drive off that bridge. And, right. you know, I thought, well, you know, if I'm at this point, I need to somehow get out from underneath of this because I just couldn't, I couldn't do it to my husband nor my children. So, and thank God I didn't because I'd have never known any of my grandkids, but look what you got now. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. You uh, you were just awesome. I mean, I can't even say I have no words. I'm so and getting me with no words is (laughs) that's you're just a really great person for what you went through and bringing light to it and feeling comfortable enough to come on now. I know we're about to hit your 15 year anniversary and thank you. Just I mean, that's fucking huge. Thank you. Seriously, that is so that is so huge. I know, Casey, we were talking before how like every, you were talking about your sister and you're like every day that like she's clean is like such, so amazing. Like I just celebrate her and my mom. I was saying that today. My mom called me today and um, she's also clean and it just, I celebrate them every single day and I'm going to cry, <laughs> but it's, it's really like important. Yes, it is very much so. Very much so. And, you know, I'm usually always willing. I mean, I still go to my counseling place and talk to new intakes that they're doing. And my husband and, and children, will they're willing to talk to families, you know, to help them through the process. And and so. Um, did your family do Al-Anon you know, or no? Just, um, no, they just did. They had their own counselor um, that actually, you know, it prepared my husband and my children for when I had to go turn myself in and for when I was going to be in prison and, you know, a lot of, I mean, life goes on when you're in there. So I had a daughter that was um, kind of in some health issues while I was there. And, you know, you can only make one phone call a day. And, and so you have to sit and wonder, and then if, if they don't answer the phone, then you're, worry and then you have to wait till the next day and so yeah it's it's not a fun it's not a fun thing to do at all no wow so prison is 
obviously used as a punishment procedure. Sorry, I'm going back to being behavioral. I'm not, I mean, I'm sure you know all this. I'm just, for anyone else I'm just over here crying, so it's fine. Let Leon take the behavior. Let me be the behavioral robot. (laughs) I had other behavioral consequences of my actions. I mean, most of my immediate family um, do not talk to me anymore. Um, My brother-in-laws don't really want anything to do with me, so... You know, I've had a lot of behavioral consequences that I've had to yeah. deal with. So, I think that, um, and I think I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. I have such a respect for you. I, I'm That's not kidding. I, okay, so I will say this: my sister and mom both same with my family, right? They are. They've basically shot a lot of them. A lot, my sister and mom have been shut out from my family and I'm always the one who's in the middle. Cause I still am with all my family. And I told my right. family, I, I literally was like, you know what? They had a problem, like an actual addiction. And now they're clean. This is the time you be there for them. I, sorry. This makes this me so angry. Yes. You celebrate them. You don't shun them. You don't. Cause yeah. this, guess what? You don't know what they've gone through. And right. now is the time to, celebrate and love and and you know you may be like oh well they did all these things yeah guess what we all make mistakes and you don't know exactly what everyone's going through so if they are finally clean and you are finally you know free of your gambling addiction clean right this is a time that family should be celebrating you i'm so sorry yeah. and if not. someone is listening and you know someone going through it doesn't have to be a gambling addiction any addiction hear this out hear this person's story hear marla's story and hear that, like, right now, like, I mean, my heart is just, like, honestly, first of all, I could, like, I could never be a psychologist. I said this on our psychology episode because my <laughs> Neither, heart, I'm crying. <laughs> my heart, I'm, like, literally so sad over here because I'm just thinking, like, when someone needs someone the most, you know, you've been through something. I, like, I always talk about, like, my struggle with my health issues and how difficult it is for me, like, having an invisible illness where people are, like, Okay, you're you're tired, Leah. Yeah, we're all tired. Shut up, you know. And that's like an invisible oh. illness, and that, and that's already hard enough. But then something like this that people automatically like, they already don't really believe that I have these serious issues until, I guess, thank God, my fingers fell off, um, three of them, and then they were like, okay, I guess it's serious. But before this is something that people are like, well, just change it, you know. I mean, just which is what even you're doing. harder, which is even harder than what I'm dealing with. Of like, people are at least are like. Okay, we don't like everyone feels shitty, Leah. You're not the only one. But this is like but think people about are like strong, you have an awkward... active choice. You have an active choice. People don't like these schedules of reinforcement. <laughs> I mean, these maintain behaviors and make it almost like seriously impossible to and I'm just like the most shocked that I'm in is as Casey said, is the fact that you know, a lot of people have to hit rock bottom. Like we used to have to have our son taken from her by the state. Like that was her rock bottom, but that was a consequent placed consequence placed on her by somebody else, you know? Like that yeah, was you her. can't make anybody stop their addiction if they don't want to. Right. And that's the thing. You know, if they're in the know. throes of it, you you can't force them to to stop their addiction. It's not gonna work. So, so looking at that you're time, time again. And looking at that again with my behavioral explanations. I'm sorry. I know like I just it's not like I'm I want you to know my heart is like totally melting over this. I just want people to be able to like pick these things up and other things, but this goes back to the MO. So 
like we had said earlier, yeah. that the, the motivating operation here is Marla's having like these sick feelings. I mean, these private events, I can't imagine what she was going through. Remember, the MO is like, what's going on in the moment? What's the background information here? So for yeah. her, she, it was an establishing operation for her to go, um, for her, the, for the, um, for the treatment or the removal of this painful private event she was dealing with to be highly valuable to her. So she, she engaged, it evoked behaviors for her to engage in getting that help. So the behaviors it evoked was going to tell the casinos like, Hey, you need to like restrict me from coming in. Um, and I'm going to go to counseling or do whatever it is, but it just shows, I mean, I know I always bring up, which is like not equivalent at all. And I'm not saying it is at all, but you know, I'm always like, Oh, I wish Ellie Ram would stop smoking cigarettes, like something like that. And it's like, if the, he doesn't have that MO himself, you're not stopping anyone. So right. it, it's so amazing that like we keep, I keep saying it, it's just, you really are like a anomaly and a blessing to show other people that they can get helped. I know you're still going through the struggle every single day and yeah. And honestly, Marla, I'm not just saying this because I'm sitting here. I would tell you this on the phone also. Like, the respect I have for you is huge. Like, I, I like, I want to come out there and like meet you because I think mm -hmm. anyone who's not like giving you a pat on the back, I like, I know of obviously people were hurt along the way and money was lost and these different things. But the fact that you're coming out here and sharing this, I mean, I just hope someone else with dealing with an addiction who could get the help or knows anyone with any other addiction could hear like the, you know, the pain and suffering that someone has to go through as a result. And, you know, it makes you want to call that friend and, and be there for them or let them know you're proud of them or reinforce the behavior that they're doing as a result of coming out of something um, or, you know, engaging in a replacement behavior or something else. Like, I'm sure every day you have to think of like, well, what am I going to do to keep myself busy today? Yeah. Oh, I forgave my dad every day of my life when, you know, for being an alcoholic. But when push come to shove, then he wrote me out of his will. So, oh, wow. you know, that's that's just, I guess, how life goes. But And yet here you are. You're still here. You have an amazing husband and kids and grandkids and you serve your time. You are paying back what you did. You're dealing with your issues, right? You're not escaping anymore. You're not hiding from it. No, no. And, and whoever chooses to stay and doesn't, that's totally out of your control. You're doing what you yep. can control. Yeah. And thank God so you have true. a, you have a loving family. I mean, like your husband that he's next to you is like, that is, that is goals. Hashtag goals to have someone stand next to you like that. Seriously. So much love. Marla, we are so, I mean, we are blessed that you came on here to share your story with our listeners. Absolutely. Is there any advice you would give anyone struggling with this addiction or an addiction in general that we could leave people to walk away with from this? Well, yeah, you already gave the 1-800 number and it just, you know, call they will set you up with a counselor wherever you're at and do the 12 steps and let your counselors you know lead the way and they won't steer you wrong i've met a lot of them and they're you know they're there to help you so get help before you do what i did and 
you know, wind up paying for your consequences the rest of your life. And guys, that number is 1-800-522-4700. That's a national gambling hotline that she was talking about. So you can also find it in our show notes. We also are going to put it in the show notes for sure. Thank you so much, Marla. Thank you, ladies. As always, guys, subscribe to us wherever you freaking can. Leave us a five-star review because we love it. And follow us at Behavior Bitches Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook. And as always, love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat here, and I just wanted to take the time for just a single second of your time and tell you about something awesome. As you know, Casey and I are super into this podcast thing going on here and getting it started. And I just wanted to let you know that there's an easy way to get it done. And that is what I'm going to tell you right now about Pretty Easy Podcast. Thank God we got in touch with the team at Pretty Easy Podcast. They help you do everything from start to finish. They will get your show up there. They will record the episode for you. They will produce it. They will add bleeps in if you're full of F-bombs like myself. Whatever it is that you need, they will do it. When you first said you wanted to start a podcast, I was like, okay, we can do that. We have no idea what we're doing. I never really thought it would get off ground until we met Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast, and he put all my fears to rest. He helped us get everything going from all of our audio audio editing and production and our song that we have, which is amazing, by the way. We're allowed to record from our own homes. He helps us with our guests. Um, He caters to our schedule. Come on, Leah, we are the worst with scheduling. I mean, I know we said we're going to have a podcast a week. So far, we're out a few days, but hey, he works with us. That's what we need. But the point is, we were looking at how we could download all these different programs to try learn how to do all this podcasting stuff. But truth is, it's affordable. It's much easier to have someone do it for you. You could go to prettyeasypodcast.com and you could get started today. I say go. I say if you want to be heard, if you have something to say, like we do, we love the sound of our own voices, and we found Alan who lets our voices shine. So thank you, Alan, at prettyeasypodcast.com. Listener.